basically concerning Shaitan, Satan, and his relationship to mankind. And to understand the concept of Satan from the Islamic point of view, it is first important for us to understand that Satan is an actual individual not a symbolic figure. Some people may seek to explain Satan in terms of symbolism, that is an evil force, the evilness amongst mankind or whatever. From an Islamic point of view, Satan is an individual. And that individual comes from a group of beings who are known collectively as the jinn. We have a chapter of the Quran which has been called Surah Al-Jinn, a chapter concerning the jinn. And the reason why Allah has chosen to spend a portion of revelation in speaking about the jinn because they have a direct relationship to us in our life and it is important that we understand that relationship. The jinn represents an order of being which create, was created like man, however from a different set of elements. The angels, according to Prophet Muhammad were created from light, mankind from earth, and the jinn were created from fire, or smokeless fire, or fiery wind, different terms by which the elemental fire is described. And from the Quranic teaching and the statements of Prophet Muhammad we understand that the angels are incapable of doing wrong. As Allah says in the Quran that they do not disobey what they have been commanded, but they do whatever they have been commanded. Whereas the jinn have a free will as men do. One thing to keep in mind is that as the jinn or as mankind has changed in his form in relationship to the elements from which he was created. That is, he was created from the earth. But we do not conceive of man today as being earth. The jinn, though they were created from fire, 
We do not conceive of the jinn today as being fire. Because if we are to conceive of them in terms of fire, then the question arises, well if the jinn are made from fire and they're fire, how then can they be punished in fire at the end of this life? So that question is easily understood when we put it into the context, same context as man. Though man is created from earth, you can take a hardened piece of earth and kill him with it. He is no longer that earth from which he was created. And similarly the jinn, though they were originally created from fire, they can still be punished by the fire. At any rate, the earth after its creation was first populated by the jinn. And they, due to the ones among them who disobeyed the commandments of Allah, created fitna or confusion on the earth. And Allah chose to create another order of beings to follow them to be their Khalifa. This is the correct meaning of the term Khalifa, the one who comes after. Men, mankind, was created and they took the place of the jinn in terms of being in authority over the earth, the highest order of being on the earth. So they were the Khulafa. As Allah said, he was making on the earth a khalifa. Some people have mistakenly understood this term khalifa to be the vicegerent of Allah. But there is no vicegerent of Allah. Allah needs no vicegerent. What he wishes, he commands. What is to be, will be. So man was placed on the earth as the highest order of being. And after he was created in the form of Adam, Eve, Allah had the angels bow in recognition of the superiority of Adam over the rest of creation. And among them, among the angels, was a jinn, Iblis, who Allah had elevated to that particular status, the status of being among the angels due to knowledge or power or whatever which Allah gave him which put him on a level above that of the rest of the jinn and when they were commanded to bow he refused all the angels bowed except for Iblis and I just want to clarify here that sometimes people will take certain verses of the Qur'an out of context and say, well, Allah said in the Qur'an that He commanded the angels to bow. And they all bowed except Iblis. This is evidence that Iblis was an angel. Which is, you could say, corresponding with the Christian view. The Christian view that 
they are only men and angels. And Satan was a fallen angel. Some of the angels could disobey God and became, you know, evil angels. Whereas Islamic you know, angels do not disobey God. Satan was amongst them. Allah referred to the fact that he told the angels to bow, knowing full well that least is not an angel. In Arabic, it is not inconsistent grammatically to say the students all left the classroom except the teacher. It isn't considered strange, I mean, because if you say the students all left the classroom or somebody came in and said all the students leave the classroom. And so you have to say yes, all the students left the classroom except the teacher. It's not a problem. It doesn't mean that the teacher is a student. In Arabic, we use uh, certain terms, general terms, which will cover everybody. When you say, Assalamu Alaikum, it covers both males and females. It doesn't mean that only the people who should respond should be the males, because kum is special for males. Kunna is for females. So, these verses, you know, those verses which refer or speak specifically to the command being given to the angels and them all bowing except for Iblis, have to be taken in the context of the Quran as a whole, where there are a number of other verses wherein Allah says specifically in reference to Iblis, Kanamin al Jin, said that he was from among the jinn. And furthermore, when Allah asked Iblis why he didn't bow, he said, "Ana khairun minhu. I am better than him." Reference to Adam. Khalaqtani min narin, wa khalaqtahu min tin. You created me from fire, and created him from clay. So there is Iblis explaining the reason why he didn't bow because he felt he was superior to Adam because of how he was created. He was created from fire. And Allah says in the Quran that these jinns were created from fire. So when we take all the verses together, it becomes very clear, very obvious, that Satan was from the group of beings that we know as the jinns. And Allah has related to us this story, the story concerning Satan and Adam, in order to make us aware of the dangerous relationship that exists between us. One which we may not perceive unless we have been guided by revelation. Because Satan is not an individual in the sense who walks amongst us, we see him, he has a sign and he says this is Satan. Satan is a, an individual who Allah created who is vigorously involved in sending or trying to send man astray, but he is not readily visible to us. This is why it was necessary for revelation to come to clarify for us who he was, what his relationship with us is. And the story of Adam actually <coughs> begins with Iblis' refusal to bow to Adam. 
And as I said, his refusal to bow is because he said, I am better than him, I'm a khayrun min. And this is the essence of racism, tribalism, nationalism. This is what is being portrayed right there. Pride. Pride in self. I am better than him. I'm from the tribe of those who are made of fire. I'm from the race of the jinn. And we are better than men. See, this is for us, from an Islamic point of view, the original way. This is why tribalism, nationalism, racism, you know, which are all the different expressions of this pride in self and, and nation and tribe, etc. This is why it is so hated in Islam. Whoever calls the tribalism, nationalism, is not up. Nothing to do left, the right, the left. The satanic. Nationalism, from an Islamic perspective, is satanic. Very important for us to understand because we're in a time when nationalism ranks supreme. Nationalism is what is divided up the Ummah, which keeps us apart, unable to become that one nation that Allah commanded to be there to establish righteousness and to prohibit the evil on earth. So the story of Satan's relationship to us begins with one of pride. Pride which the Prophet also said will stop man from entering paradise. Whoever has, as he said, a mustard seed's worth of pride in his heart will not enter paradise. Pride is among the things which stop people from accepting Islam. When you look at Abu Talib, the story of Abu Talib, the uncle of the Prophet Muhammad who knew that the Prophet was a messenger of God. He raised him as a child. He knew him to be a righteous, honest, trustworthy individual. He knew what he was saying. But on his deathbed, he was unable to declare that truth because his other relatives Burn his pride. Ask him, are you going to give up the belief of our forefathers? Are you going to dishonor our family, our grandfather, our father, by rejecting their religion? And he chose to stay on the religion of his forefathers out of tribal pride. And that pride took him to hell, though he knew. Just as the pride of Satan takes him to hell, though he knew the truth of the oneness of Allah, etc. The Satan's relationship to Adam and Eve, we know, as described in the Quran, is one wherein, after Allah 
had informed Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of paradise. Satan came to them and gave them some suggestions which played on their personal desires. The desire to live forever is what he came to them with. And if you eat from the tree, it will make you like the angels, living forever. Man's desire to want to live forever is something we know, we start from the pharaohs, you know what they did to try to preserve themselves, even today. Human beings, you know, when they die, they have their bodies frozen and sent into outer space and all kinds of things now, you know, trying to believe in that sometime in the future they'll be able to be revived and, you know, live forever. That desire to live forever is strong in man. Not new. It was there without it. And he advised them this is what will happen. And he told them, I'm your good friend. I'm giving you the best of advice. I'm a good advisor to you. And playing on man's desires, human desires, Adam went and ate from the tree. And Allah reminded him that he had told him this statement. They could have been any. When Adam had forgotten the commandments of Allah, Satan came, played on his desires, and got him to be the Message in here is the importance of the remembrance of Allah. And when we remain conscious of Allah, then we protect ourselves from Satan and his tricks. When we forget Allah, then Satan comes to us and plays with our desires. And this is how we end up in disobedience of Allah. This is why Allah informed us that the basic reason for the establishment of prayer is the remembrance of Allah. This is the basic reason for the remembrance. The prayer. Five times a day, establishing that prayer is for the remembrance of Allah. Because it is through that remembrance that we are able to protect ourselves from evil, to remain on the righteous path, path of righteousness. So, that basic relationship described in the Quran. Prophet Muhammad further elaborated for us explaining that with each and every individual, when a person is cre- created, when he's born, there is with him an evil jinn called Harim, a companion that stays with him throughout his life, calling him to evil, whispering, suggesting, etc. It's part of the test of life. He's also informed us that there are with us also angels. An angel who will suggest also to us righteousness and goodness. We have that dual aspect throughout our lives. 
And when the companions asked the Prophet even you, O Messenger of Allah, even you, how would you eat? Jinn, evil jinn? He said yes. However, Allah has aided you in overcoming him. So he does not command you to eat with him. But it is something with all of us. For us to be conscious that this is a source of evil around us, something we have to be conscious of to give us confidence that we are capable and able to overcome these objections. We are born not evil, as Christianity teaches that every individual is born in sin, with the original sin is carrying with him, is born in evil. This is why the need for the sacrifice, the divine sacrifice to absolve him of the elemental evil that he cannot see himself of. Whereas from a Islamic perspective, the human being is born free of it. The environment around him, the forces around him, suggest evil or suggest good. He has within himself, within his soul, a consciousness of evil and good. And he chooses which direction he will go. <coughs> the more he listens to the evil side, to the evil suggestions, the evil environment, the less he is capable of hearing the good. The more he does so, the less he hears the good until he reaches a state where the good appears to him to be evil and the evil appears to be good. His heart becomes sealed. Allah talks about those who believe who are firm in their belief that there is a seal over their eyes and their ears and hearts. They can no longer hear the good who doesn't appear to them anymore. It appears foolish. And the Prophet in his own practice, because the realization of this environment, this force, these evil tendencies which exist, means that we have to be conscious of them in our dealings with human beings and society. And he gave as an example, a time when the Prophet was walking with one of his wives, Sophia, and uh, a couple of companions came upon them, and so they hurriedly started walking in another direction. So he called them, and he said, this is my wife, Sophia. And they said, SubhanAllah, oh, Rasulullah, glory be to Allah, I mean, why, why did you have to tell us that? I mean, we, we, we don't have any doubt about it. But he said, I told you that because to avoid the possibility of Satan putting in your heart that evil thought that maybe the problem of Allah is walking with a girlfriend. You know, you got somebody, a woman, who is not married. Of course. Well, yeah, that's something we understand for the prophet. No way. But Prophet, based on revelation from Allah, guidance from Allah, called them to clarify for them that in order to remove the possibility that if no thoughts can come into their hearts, because it's not that they personally and with themselves have that thought, but Satan can put it in the heart. 
can come into the mind. These type of thoughts can come in, even though you are not that type of a person. You are not thinking in this direction. You find thoughts coming into your mind. This is why Prophet said that his Ummah, the nation of Muslims, have been absolved of the sin of the evil thoughts. They are not held accountable for what they think, ideas that are in their mind, unless they speak on them or they act on them. This is when you are held to account. Why? Because these forces are there. Beyond your control, these ideas can come into your mind. If Allah were to help hold you to account for those thoughts, then there would be no way. We'll be finished. Our evil will be so great, there's no way for any of us to make it to paradise. So Allah has taken that off. We are not held to account for those thoughts. The thought comes in our mind and we reflect on it, etc. But we reflect on the teachings of the Prophet which tells us, don't speak about it. If you don't have anything good to say, only If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything. This is your policy. So you control yourself. If bad thoughts come to your mind, you don't speak about it. And that way you protect it. You don't act on it. And the Prophet at the end of that statement when he told them that he did this only to, you know, remove the possibility of this thought taking root in their mind in case Satan had put this thought in their, in their mind, in their heart. He said at the end that Satan flows within the bloodstream of every descendant of Adam. The way the blood courses through your body, Satan flows through your body. Able to influence your thoughts, your ideas, your emotions. So we have to be informed of that, that we are particularly conscious, taking particular care to protect ourselves from people which exist outside of ourselves as well as inside of ourselves. And the Imam went on to describe certain relationships between Satan and human beings. And he mentioned he mentioned one particular hadith in which Prophet had mentioned that Satan will sit in the path of a person to Islam. A person who is coming Islam, seeking the truth, finding the truth, and Satan will sit right in the middle of his path. And will put the idea in his mind, are you going to give up your family? Are you going to give up your family? You know? This is now the fear that comes into the hearts of some people. They're about to accept Islam, and the fear comes over them. If I become a Muslim, then my whole family is going to reject me. All my friends, my co-workers, they're going to dislike me now. I'm going to be all by myself, on my own. Am I ready for that? No. So, don't be comfortable. But if the person's consciousness of Allah is strong, his desire or her desire to, to submit to Allah is strong, then they don't fear 
mankind more than Allah. Because when a person decides not to become Muslim because he's afraid of what is going to happen to his family, etc. In the case of women who are married, you know, I become Muslim, what is my husband going to say? And when a person stops coming into Islam because of that, it means that their fear of man is greater than their fear of Allah. And this is shit. This is not true worship of Allah. This is associating partners with Allah. We're not allowed to fear mankind, anything of creation, more than we fear Allah. So Satan comes to this channel, playing on our emotions, not wanting to be cut off from family, etc. And if the person's faith in that says is strong, he ignores and submits becomes a Muslim. After becoming a Muslim, then Satan comes in his path again when he has in front of him or she has in front of him the concept of Hijrah. Hijrah. Leaving the area which is under the control of non-Muslims, where evil etc. is abound. And going to the area where there are Muslims. Muslims are concentrating in a particular area, you know, whether it be in the time of Prophet it was Medina. When he made the Hitler to Medina, it was compulsory on the rest of the Muslims to emigrate also to Medina. It was a requirement, because this is where Islam was now to take root in, to become a society. So if we take it back to our own country, you know, whether we're in Philippines or in America or wherever, Wherever Muslims seek to establish a community, a real community, where they say we choose a particular area and all Muslims let us try to move there to gain control over that area. And it's necessary for Muslims to do that. Hijra is compulsory for us as long as we're living on earth to establish the Islamic community to the degree that we're able. When the call comes to make the Hijra, Satan then comes to us and says, are you going to give up your hope? You already have a home here, in, you know, in, uh, in this part of the country, in Luzon, you know. You don't want to give up your home, you have a home there, family, or everybody, you're going kind to of give that up and go. Again, playing on the emotion. You're welcome. The Muslims of India. When Pakistan was being formed, that was the Hijra. The country was being divided between those, the area which would be ruled by Kufr which would be ruled by the Hindus, pagans. Though they are claiming that it would be secular rule, etc., but they're pagans. And the area which would be Pakistan, the land of the pure. And whether it actually became Pakistan or not, that's another question, right? But we're talking about the concept. There was that effort of Hijra. The call for Hijra was there. So many of the people of India decided to remain in Why? Why did you leave? Family, they had land, wealth, all these things. Keep all these stuff. Because when you're packing your belongings, you can't take your land and everything else with you. The Hindus were not going to give you any money for it. You just have to now give it up and go. Big challenge. For the sake of your faith, go and live with the rest of the Muslims. Those who chose to remain behind, you see what is happening to them today. What will continue to happen to them? 
this was the test. And again, the Prophet went on to say that the person who is faith, his friend, puts that thought aside, makes a sacrifice next day. Then after making the Hijra, Satan again sits in the past. In the case of Jihad. Now when the call comes, Muslims, because Jihad is something which will stand until the Day of Judgment. As long as there are people who are calling to the oneness of Allah, the establishment of righteousness, then Jihad is a necessity. Because the forces of evil want to destroy that cause. That's what Islam represents. The worship of the one God and the establishment of righteousness. So the forces of evil will cooperate, work together from outside of the Muslim nations as well as inside the Muslim nations to try to destroy that cause. So the Muslims have to be prepared fight to keep that call alive, the jihad. That jihad which involves the sacrifice of wealth, of life, they can come again. I couldn't give up your money. You lose your life. When you die, it's all over. Everybody else is going to take your money, divide up amongst themselves, and you come out of this world with nothing. Better you hang around for a while, don't go and fight and enjoy your wealth. That's this satanic death which comes again too. And the believer who overcomes it, who continues to strive, if he dies, it's a Allah fighting for the cause of Allah, he has been silent. He drowns. He is a martyr going to paradise. If he falls from a, a horse, his horse, stumbles off the horse, Kuru has to die against the car, fell out of the car, and an accident which is outside of their control, he dies, of course. You are a martyr. If you have that frame of mind, it doesn't mean everybody who drowns the martyr going to paradise. And if that person was drinking alcohol and even individual falls off the, sh the ship, which is, you know, one of the cruise ships where they're having parties, disco, everything, he falls off. One night he gets drunk, he falls off and he's drunk, he's going to fire. No. This is in reference to the individual who has overcome Shaitan. To overcome the satanic call to disobedience to Allah. He's on the right path. That person dies in these fashions, you know, sent from Allah, he dies as a martyr. Not on the same status as the one who is in battle and gives his life, of course, but he's also considered, according to the teachings of Allah, to be among the martyrs. And uh, the Imam went on to give a number of other examples from the Qur'an, wherein Iblis describes himself after asking Allah to give him a state, an opportunity, you know, until the last day. Allah gave him that day of judgment, whereby he then stated that he will sit in that straight path of Allah and cause all to go straight. 
except for the sincere worshippers of Allah. And uh, Prophet described Iblis as setting up his throne on water. And I know there's some people who you know, may claim that, you know, the Bermuda Triangle, maybe, you know, about the Bermuda Triangle, this is where Satan had his throne. So we don't get into these kind of things. We don't know Prophet said he set his throne on water. We don't go to try to establish where is this place, you know, Bermuda Triangle or any other triangle. We don't get into that. And from that point where he sets his throne, he sends out his army of devils, shayateen, who spread over the earth, creating mischief, trying to destroy the spiritual lives of human beings. And they come back to them, come back to Satan, and they report back what they have done. And one will say, that I did this, I did that, I did the other. And Satan will say to him, you've done nothing. Another one who comes to him and says, you know, I did this and that, and I followed this person. Satan will say, I split up the family. I call them to break up his relationship with his wife and so on. Then Satan says, okay, that's the job. That's just enough to do, but to follow you right to the last end point. And he mentioned also that Satan, when he calls man, as the law says in the Quran, that Satan calls man to disbelieve. However, on the day of judgment, you know, after man has disbelieved, he will say, anybody with me. You know, I'm not responsible for you. I mean, I, you don't call on me. What you did is your own business. You chose to do what you did. And he goes on to say, in me, this is Satan saying, Verily, I fear Allah, the Lord of all the world. After calling you to disbelieve in Allah, he then absolves himself of what you have done and says, No, I, I fear Allah. And in the second part of the khutbah, the Imam went on to point out that the satanic forces are not only among the jinn. Because Allah speaks about Shayateen and Zimni and That there are devils of both among mankind and the jinn. And that he had appointed for every prophet devils amongst the jinn and mankind who would seek to divert, to stop that message. The role they play. This is the story of the Prophet has uh, given us details of which Allah describes in the Quran of the, those who, when the Prophet came, they would say, Well, why are you a Prophet? We are richer than you, and we have more power than you, etc. Why should we even follow you? Look, all the people following you are poor slaves, and etc. The worst of this society is pride. Satanic uh, invitation, and those individuals who accept that, they become devils themselves. <coughs> they seek to stop that message of Allah. They are visible. 
And they all help each other. Allah describes the devils among the jinn, inspiring the devils amongst the men. They aid and affect each other. Whether they are in the form of fortune tellers, magicians, astrologers, etc. Or in the form of actual evil individuals who we see in different societies who may even call themselves Muslims, or what they're doing is just the total opposite. They're enemies of Islam, yet wearing the cloak of Islam. We should be aware of them, and aware that this is part of the trial of this life. We have a duty to submit our will to Allah, to struggle against these forces of evil, whether they be invisible, they affect us on a spiritual, psychological, intellectual level. And the Imam also described Satan is coming to an individual and asking him, Who created you? And he say, Allah. This is just a thought in your mind. And then he'll come back to you and say, Well, then who created Allah? Create that. This is, this is what sends people off. When you listen to the, uh, to the disbelievers, the atheists, this is how they argue. Then who created God? Their life of life. Satan and God, and their minds have been caught in that frame. And they're that with it. You'll find children expressing this. Well, of course, when a child expresses it, you know, you have to try to clarify for the child. You can't just say, that's from Satan, get away! You know. Because of course, when a child, you know, a young person, when this idea comes, if you don't deal with it, you know, in a sort of a gentle and intellectual kind of a way, you know, to give them an understanding, then this is going to remain with them. It's going to remain with them. It just takes root more and more. So it is necessary for you to try to clarify something, depending on the level of their understanding, something of why we don't ask this question. Why this question is wrong. In the case of Allah, it's the wrong question to ask. Why? We just saying why. Because young people, it's very important for them to understand why. If you just tell them no, don't, haram, then it stays in their mind, you know, what is, you know, what is forbidden becomes attractive, you know, to, to the mind of young people in general. And what's forbidden of that becomes attractive. Well, let's understand why. So, we should be aware that Satan can come in these different ways, whether it's the spiritual, intellectual, mental, etc. And affect us as individuals, affect our families, affect the society. And today we're living, as I said, in a time where satanic pride is strongest in the form of nationalism, tribalism, you know, dividing Muslims on these bases. We have to be conscious of the wrongness of these ideas, these thoughts, these claims, and to try to overcome them. That, as much as I was able to pick up from the program, I don't know if anybody has any other uh, comments, if there's anything I missed from the program uh, they would like to add.
Okay, are there any general questions concerning the book itself? Yeah, Well, it is obvious that for that to have been attractive, he must have had a consciousness of death. By knowing Allah, wait a minute. By knowing Allah, what does knowing Allah mean? Knowing Allah means that Allah never dies. And everything else besides Allah dies. So part of knowing Allah is realizing that He will die. Okay? Part of knowing Allah is realizing this is one of the sifatillah, one of the characteristics or attributes of Allah that He alone never dies. Mankind dies. So part of that knowledge which Allah gave Adam, knowledge of Himself, knowledge of, as a man, knowledge of... Well, uh, I want to get to that perhaps, well, I think the first question, for our sisters who can't really hear the question, the question was in reference to uh, how it is that Satan was able to play on Adam's fear of death when uh, he was not conscious of death. And I just uh, explained that the conscious knowledge of the law includes consciousness of death of the individual. Uh, another brother is suggesting perhaps Adam uh, was able to understand about death by observing the death of other parts of creation around them, whether it were trees or animals or whatever. Well, if you know what is further, further is speculation, right? Um, I, I don't think we need to go that far because somebody may argue whether well, she was in paradise, the animals and trees of paradise don't die. So we start to run into other problems. I would just say fundamentally that knowledge of Allah, understanding who Allah is, means knowing that Allah never dies and knowing that you die. This is a distinction, a part of that distinction between man and God, the creator and his creation. You know your creation, it means you know you're going to die. To know that Allah looks forever to understand that you don't, that you will die. So, that's not a bad thought, but if Satan comes to your slaves on it, then it can turn into a bad thought. There's no problem, every one of us should know that we will die. That we cannot be Allah, that it's not worth trying to prolong or to live forever because you can't live forever. You are going to die. Every one of us. Prophet said, Allah has created a cure for every sickness except death. There's no way out of it. That's part of knowing Allah. There's no harm in having that consciousness. But now, when it becomes distorted, when Satan comes to you and, you know, puts something else along with it, Know that you're going to die, what it's going to mean, and what you're going to your family, what you're going to lose, and all this, you know. This is now what puts you in that fear, that state of fear, where you really want to hug one second and live. I need to go and get this operation, I need to do this thing and try that and try this, I want to live, you know. This is that fear, 
taken display now on your consciousness of death uh, in the way. Yeah, the feeling of self-preservation, sure. Uh, we are, you know, the, the, the desire to protect one's life is natural, and um, this is uh, to protect one's family is natural. But again, all of our desires, the general principle that we understand, Allah has created us with a variety of desires. These desires are, are fundamentally good. However, there is a negative element to it. If it gets distorted, if it's put in the wrong context, then it becomes evil. Because your desire to survive, you know, when it becomes survival of the frequency, you know, Darwin, Hitler's, you know, whatever theories of survival, which means destroying everybody else to ensure your survival, and it becomes evil, right? But if it's a question of, you know, you're dying and starving to death, you know, and uh, it means uh, somebody else is next to you, they're, they're, they're dead already, let's you know, say you have to eat a piece of uh, dead meat, that slice of a human being, for survival purposes, it's allowed. Allowed. You eat enough to survive. The Islamic law recognizes that desire which Allah has created in us. You were saying that the, uh, the shaitan is an individual. Um, but, uh, because he's an individual, is he in only one place at one time, or is he omnipresent? Or is the shaitan which gives us the, uh, the, you know, which the that's a different shaitan to that? Well, uh, our question of our brother is um, uh, that I mentioned that Satan was a particular entity, a particular individual. Uh, the question is, uh, if he's affecting so many of us, is he in, in all places at all times? He's omnipresent, you know. Uh, you know, how is how is this? Or is it he has different people working for him? But as I said, the problem was that Satan is actually thrown on water in a particular location, wherever it may be. And he turns out with truth. So there, he, he has truth that are working. I mean, um, sometimes he is the one who's directly involved. He's not omnipresent, he's not everywhere. Uh, but see, the thing is that when you deal with movement, you know, how people could come to you and tell you something, and then go to your, your father in England and tell him something else, and go to your, your grandfather or your uncle in Pakistan and tell him something else, you know, how that could be. Does, it need, does he need to be everywhere to do that? Well, no. He doesn't. Because he, if we think in terms of movement, for a man, yes. For you to be able to come and tell me one minute and the next minute I'm telling your father and the next minute I'm telling your uncle, yes, I have to be everywhere. But for the jinn who are able to move the speed beyond our comprehension, right, which is described in the Quran and described also in the Sunnah, the jinn are able to travel over large distances you know, instantaneous. And for, for Satan to be directly involved in some of the evil that is going on, as well as, as the Prophet described, he has troops, you know, people, those who follow him, whether it's in the most jinn or amongst mankind who carry out his work. It's a combination of both. Uh, 
Our brother's question was, you know, they're saying that money or wealth is the root of all evil, you know. And uh, so, where is the evil? Is the evil in the money or the wealth or is it in the individual itself? Well, you know, this saying is not an Islamic saying. Okay, this is saying uh, Western uh, philosophy. Uh, we, to a certain degree, has some reality to it. I mean, what it is, it is, it is observing circumstances. People get money, they become evil. So they say, well, the cause of that evil is the wealth. So we say, wealth is the root of all evil. From the Islamic perspective, we say, no. Wealth is a test. It's a fitness, a trial. Not that wealth in itself is evil. It is how you use the wealth which will determine whether it is evil or good. Because wealth in and of itself is neutral. It is necessary for human existence. It's neutral. It's part of what Allah has given us. But how we use it determines whether it is evil for us or it is good for us. And it is true, Prophet Muhammad has said, that the greatest test or trial that would be left amongst his ummah, his followers, would be that of wealth. You know, it is a trial, it's a big test. The person who normally is very kind and generous, whatever, when he's put into a position of power, he has now wealth and control, you find him changing his attitude, you know. But it is not the wealth, the power, and the control. He did it, but that individual's own weakness is not holding firm the rope of the law to recognizing its responsibility, that this wealth and power, etc., is a responsibility, greater responsibility that he is now uh, required to answer for. But looking at it more as, you know, I've been fortunate to get all this, you know, and I need to keep it. I don't want anybody else to share it with me. This is that the desire to want to control and maintain for self, which now cause that individual not to act in an evil fashion in relationship to that power or wealth which he has or she has been given. My brother, one of the topics is directed in the Bible about that money is directed to the Bible. But there is no such verse in the Bible that says like that. But the Greek verse is the love of money is the root of all evidence. Correct. It is the love of money. If we don't love the money, the evil will not, will not, not have power for us. So, okay, if we use the money in a, in a, in a manner which Allah wants, wanted us to use it in, a, in the correct uh, uh, manner, maybe there is no such evil in that money. Mm-hmm. But if you love the money more than Allah, then the evil will. Mm-hmm. Okay, our brother was clarifying for us that, you know, if some people may attribute the quote that, you know, uh, that wealth or money is the, is the source of all evil, you know, attributed to uh, biblical uh, uh, verses, he clarified that this in fact is not in the Bible, but what we find in the Bible is reference to 
the love of money or love of wealth being the source of evil. Uh, and that this uh, love, when a person loves that wealth more than the person loves Allah, this is what's now causing the person to betray and disobey Allah. I would say that even the statement, the love of money is the source of all evil, from an Islamic perspective, it would not agree. We would not agree because Allah has created us with a love for money. We all have a love for wealth. This is natural. This is why the communist system would never succeed. Because it sought to replace that, to say that this is not natural in man. This is something which is learned. You know, a desire to want to possess and to own, to control. This is something which is taught by the society. But really what we should have is this basic uh, desire of sharing, not one of possessing for self. So this is what the communist system sought to set up, a society where everybody would share whatever they had. You know, if you had more, you would give more. If you had less, you would take more. And they would, but you see, this is unreal. Unreal, all you have to do is watch a child. A child, you know, who hasn't had a chance to learn about, you know, ownership, etc. But you give that child a toy. And you tell the child that it is his toy. And you see that child not wanting to share the toy with anybody else. You have to. Because this is here, this is a toy. They're not going to steal it. You have to, because it's in, the, it's in the nature of the child, they want to not share it. So the love of wealth, or the desire to want to possess, to own for self, this is part of human nature, which Allah has created us with. However, and, and that, is, that is necessary, it is necessary for our survival. It is, it is necessary for our survival. If we don't have a desire to want to possess something, we cannot do society. You know, we do society by accumulating things and, 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 you know, handing that down and others adding to it and, you know, this is how things are built, how societies are built. If the animals don't have any sense of ownership, possession in that sense of, of the material things of the world, so they don't have any societies, anything, you know. So this is part of the necessity of establishing society, this, this desire for providing for your family. You have to have that desire. But the point is that for Islam, that that desire has limits. It has limits. That you may fulfill that desire in the halal means, in what is permissible. You may gain from this world. And all of a sudden, you created it for us, for our usage. So we may take it. But through the permissible means, we may not do it through stealing and cheating and all these other ways. This is what makes it not for us. And when we have it, because it is a blessing from Allah, we also have a duty to share some of it with those who don't have. Because it is Allah's destiny which gave it to us. So there comes along with its responsibilities, etc., etc. So Islam doesn't look at the love of money as being the root of evil, but to say where that love, as you add it, becomes greater than the love of Allah. That's when in doubt becomes evil. And anything, any of our emotions, when our fear of man becomes greater than our fear of Allah, it becomes evil. But fear is necessary for us for our survival. And if you don't have a concept of fear, then you'll jump off buildings, jump and kill yourself. 
Right? You know when you see a lion or you see a scorpion, if you don't have fear, you should get hurt. Fear is what helps us to do with this thing. But when the fear is distorted now, and it becomes greater than one's fear of Allah, what Allah has commanded us, then it becomes evil. And that's with all of our emotions. Love. Love in general. Love of our wife. Love of our child. This is something natural in us. It's not evil. However, when our love of our child becomes greater than our love of Allah, then it becomes evil. So, this is the final uh, perspective with regard to evil in terms of the things which Allah has created within us as well as the creation around us. Oh, you're happy, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was wondering if you wanted to say it. I wanted to ask a Okay, um, two statements, right? First statement uh, concerning, uh, what was the first statement again? Question. Question. First part of it? Yeah, the first part was, okay, the, the hadith that I read in reference to the uh, Surah Salaam, making the truth of what you believe in him, or giving him his Okay, um, there is authentic uh, reference to Prophet on the way back from Tariq. Tariq, after he had gone to try to carry the message of Islam to, to the people of Tariq, he was rejected. On his way back, he met a company of the jinn, who uh, he sat with and gave them the message of Islam and they accepted Islam. And this is referred to also in the Quran itself, in the source of jinn, because reference is made to that. You know, they carried the message back to the people. And there wasn't anything of a treaty, but that he carried the message to them and they accepted it. I accepted Islam. Okay, this was uh, a blessing from Allah uh, for Prophet You know, after being rejected by some of his own family, you know, being from another world, accepted Islam. The second part uh, concerning the story of Prophet you know, uh, traveling with him, the devil, this actually the story was that he was in the masjid. This is related by his companions. It's authentic that he was in the masjid on one occasion making salah. And they observed him reaching out his hand and seeming to be struggling with something that they couldn't see. And they asked him about it after the salah. And he narrated to them that uh, a devil had come to him while he was in the prayer and had a 
you play the torch and you try to push it in his face to, to cause him to be distracted from his breath. So he had reached out and caught the devil by his neck and was squeezing the neck, you know, again, power over it in the sense he was squeezing the neck until he said that he could feel the, the coldness of his saliva on his hand. And he thought, he said, he thought to tie it to one of the pillars of the masjid uh, and it would then become visible and that the people, the children of Medina would come and play with it, you know, stone it or to tease it or whatever. Then he remembered the dua or the uh, supplication of Prophet Sulaiman in which he had asked Allah to give him a power, a control which he would give to no one else. And that was given to him. It was control over the jinn. The jinn worked for Prophet Sulaiman. And realizing that, Prophet realized that it was not possible for him to do what he thought to do. Because that control was given only to Prophet Sulaiman. So from that we understand that it is not possible for any human being to gain control over the jinn. You know, you have some people in some countries saying, you know, I have a jinn working for me. You know, I hear many stories of people telling me different parts of the Muslim world, you know. We have this jinn, you know, my, my uh, father had a jinn used to come and clean the house for him every day. You know, these type of uh, stories, right? Uh, we have to understand that it is not possible for human beings to gain control over the jinn. It is possible for jinn to do some things for human beings, but they will only do it as a means to draw them into shirk. If they are involved in shirk, or they are, they are encouraged to be involved in shirk, it's one or the other for them to get that kind of relationship. So it's more of a contractual relationship. I will do something for me, for you, if you do something for me. In terms of the believing jinn, the believing jinn, and uh, we know that this is another category of the jinn, they know that their relationship with human beings should not involve contact, contract, you know, uh, dealing with. So they are not involved in the normal uh, relationships with humans. What you find in most cases where people are involved in the jinn is the evil jinn. However, and this is a big topic, but uh, it is possible in the cases of possession that sometimes a person may be possessed uh, for certain reasons by a believing jinn and not just an evil jinn. In most cases it is the evil among the jinn, it is possible, but to really get into that and to understand it, I would suggest there's a book I've uh, translated together called Isentaneous Essay on the Jinn. It's dealt with there in more detail. Uh, let me give a question from the situation, okay? Uh, who created evil? Is it correct to refer to Allah as the creator of evil? Um, Allah does not refer to himself, nor does the Prophet refer to Allah as the creator of evil in the um, direct sense. Nor indirectly, we understand that whatever exists in this world is 
from the creation of Allah. So we don't refer directly to Allah from a point of etiquette. You know that it is not befitting for us to say Allah created people directly, No, we seek refuge in Allah min ma khalaq from the evil of that which was created. Not the evil which Allah created, but the evil which is in what Allah created. This is how Allah describes He created a fish, right? The fish has bones in it. These bones help the fish live, survive, exist. When you eat that fish and the bone sticks in your neck, I mean your throat, it becomes an evil. Evil relative to yourself. If you saw, there's a whole body of evil which is relative to evil. Which is not evil in and of itself. But whatever evil exists in creation, it is by the will of Allah. Allah allows it to exist, allows it to come into being, allows you to think evil and to do evil. He gave you the power, the physical power of your body to act on what you do. But He still is the one which allows you to fulfill that action. Because you can make all your evil plans and try your hardest to put that those evil plans into practice and you cannot because the circumstances don't allow. So the circumstances are with the realm of Allah. He is the one who provides the circumstances. Allows it to take place or doesn't allow it to take place. So we say that the evil which takes place is by the will of Allah. We don't say, you know, that Allah created he created man with, a, with a, the ability to do evil, choose evil over good. And he gave him the ability to put his choice into practice, which means the coming of evil into existence in the outer world. Another question. Should Muslims make hijrah when they are living in a so-called Muslim country and the evil seems to be overcoming Islam? Or does this call for jihad? If Muslims are in a situation, in a, in a position to make a jihad within a Muslim country to establish Islam, then that is their duty. If they are not in that position, they Muslims are to serve weak position, then for the sake of the practice of their Islam, they make it. So they have one of these choices. Either they can make the Hitler, go someplace else where they can work for Islam and help them establish Islam more effectively, or they can remain in that circumstance and strive to overcome the evil that is in there. It may be in the form of direct jihad or preparing for jihad or, you know, whatever intermediary stage that one may be on. Why 
Our brother's question is, why is it that Allah only directed the, the command to bow to the angels with to bow to Adam? Why did he direct this commandment only to the angels and the Iblis who was among the angels and not to the jinn in general? Of course, however, we're trying to enter into a realm where our knowledge is limited. What we understand is that Allah has elevated the belief to that position to be among the angels. Why exactly or how exactly we don't know. But he has been elevated to that particular faculty. And when the commandment was given, he was amongst those who received the commandment. The commandment wasn't given to the rest of the jinn, we could say, because it may have been obvious to them that man was superior to them. May have been. But for the Greeks who had been elevated beyond the status of the average king, this became a test for him. Then it wouldn't be speculation. Okay. <laughs> okay, another, another uh, question. Okay, a better question um, or suggestion is that if we consider that evil is like the bone of the fish, relative, then if we understand that it is relative, it means that there is no actual evil if we uh, have that understanding and act in accordance with that understanding. But I would just say that that's only a portion of evil. A portion of evil is relative. But then there is another portion which is real evil. You know, where there is an evil intent and an evil action. In the case of said, some is a good portion of evil which is relative. Calamities to befall man, etc. This is like a certain sickness and, you know, sadness, etc. which, you know, which befall man. That's like a certain said that, you know, the, the whole life of the believer is good. Because when good comes to him, he is thankful, he remembers the law along the world. When evil comes to him, when he's beheld by calamity, some, you know, struck by the fish, his family, his house is burned down, whatever, he is patient and Allah rewards him for it. So, relative to himself, the circumstances of his life are all means of increasing his good, if he uses it correctly, which is in a general sense. However, 
at the same time there is really Satan is reality. He is really evil. He and those who work for him are really evil. A person who chooses the evil path, Hitler was a really evil person. He is evil in reality. So we have both answers. We have to deal with that. We have to realize that we can become evil individuals when we act on evil thoughts. Those evil thoughts may come from ourselves. We may be the one who starts the thought, or it may come from external forces. People around us may suggest, or the jinn may introduce a thought into our mind. There are a variety of sources that it can come from. And it becomes true evil when we act on it when we speak on it. So there is a reality to evil. But we, uh, you know, we cannot uh, separate, we cannot classify everything as being relative evil. A good portion of it which is relative, but it is also a portion of it which is real, which has a evil intent behind it. And that's why ultimately, you know, the real evil, this is, judgment lies ultimately with the law. Because he knows that he can. Is the Jal a human being or a genius? And the Jal, the Antichrist, who Prophet about, who Prophet Isa spoke about, the Prophet before all, warned the people of the Antichrist. The Antichrist, as described by Prophet what is a human being? Not a human. The human being. Who will have certain powers, certain abilities, which will become a test for those people of faith. For the evil, they will become, you will become a leader. But it's not a symbol, some people say, have interpreted the job to be America, you know, that the blind eye is the material eye of America. You know, it's different explanations. But no, we understand when you read the tradition very carefully, it's clear that this is a particular individual. Question, would I say Hitler was a wickedly great man? Uh, Allah gave him some power, or put some power at his disposal, but I would not want to say he was a great man. He was greatly wicked. I would not call him wickedly great, I would call him greatly wicked. <laughs> You see some people that are really dead because of evil. God, evil. That's notably evil. So wicked. Not greatly. You don't envy him. You know, to say greatly, you put that tag on there. You envy that person for their power and the way they just victimize people. If you ever say greatly, so you have to say something with Jesus. That's okay. <laughs> That's when we're acknowledging that the person is notably wicked. Yeah, another suggestion that we refer 
to the individual being notably wicked as opposed to greatly wicked. Yes, um, are kids like living beings because that they are born to have a lifespan they introduce and die? According to the traditions and to the verses of the Quran, it does appear that they, they were born, you know, they were created, they were born, they do have offspring, and that they do die. Would they Buried in the world of the Okay, inshallah, I think the question is, can harm people yet through possession? You know, we understand that according to Islamic tradition, possession is a reality. Not that, that every case that a person becomes mad or they become foolish that they are possessed, but that possession does take place, different levels of possession, and uh, this is uh, part of the effects of the jinn, people jinn, on human beings. Well, we have exorcism in Islam. You know, as I said, this is explained in more detail, but this is a big chapter uh, in itself, you know, exorcism. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, the book, uh, the Ibn essay on the gym, it does deal with much of the issues of exorcism, how it should take place, you know, why it is necessary, who can do it, etc. Who is The book is available in, uh, in a number of the book uh, stores here in Riyadh itself. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. is called Ibn essay on the gym. And, uh, you know, if, if you have difficulty finding it, then you can contact me and I can arrange you to get some copies. Okay, so I think we've uh, had a lot of questions today. I, was, I wanted to go into something of the uh, Islamic uh, sciences, uh, but inshallah we'll start next week going to the passage of time. So we close with Harakallahumma Muhammadika, Ashadu Allah, Ilaha Muhammad, Astaghfiruka, Wa Nafubu Lake. We ask Allah to help us against the evil forces around us and within us and to help us to help others, to guide and to advise others away from the evil and to submit ourselves with all our hearts and our souls to Him alone to die, inshallah, and to give us.